0: Welcome, friends, and welcome, Devora Buxbaum.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me. So great to be here.
0: Devora Buxbaum is back on the podcast, and this is a special episode. Every episode is special, but this one has special significance. Do you know why?
1: I do. I believe it's kind of a big deal. I believe that this is the 100th episode of the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast.
0: Well, it's not such a big deal, but it's a little bit. I said bit. it's kind of it's a big deal. a little bit of a big deal. The truth is, in full disclosure to our audience, when this podcast first started was actually during COVID, and it didn't even start out as like an official quote-unquote podcast. It was just like a place for me to post the classes that we were giving over Zoom, and it's just an easy way for people to access it. And it wasn't really getting that many listens either. But as we continue doing it, we started bringing on guests and Dvorah started coming on. And, um, and it, it's really turned into something really special. And we have now tens of thousands of downloads and it's, and it's been fun and it's been meaningful. So thank you out there, all of the listeners who have been part of this journey for tuning in, for listening, for sharing, for liking, for commenting, for sending emails, all this stuff. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, very much so, very yeah. much
1: so. And every every everything really feels like it's like you know it's like a family when you can make a reference to a certain thing that you heard or you know it's just it's so wonderful.
0: Okay, now on to our guest. We have a really fun and exciting guest on this 100th episode, Mrs. Rifki Silver. Rifki is the co-host of the Deep Meaningful Conversations podcast, powered by Meaningful Minute. A regular contributor to Mishpacha's Family First magazine. Her writing can also be found on many popular Jewish websites. She's an engaging public speaker and a musical performer with a degree in music performance. She has performed internationally with orchestras, chamber ensembles and bands, and these days performs in Cleveland, where she lives with her husband and children. Now, her bio does not even speak at all about her really fascinating journey, which we speak about a lot in the podcast.
1: Yes, her journey is incredible. Rifki. I have yet to hear you perform. Super excited for that one day. But I had the privilege of meeting Rifki in person, and she really is the real deal. Um, I was very drawn to her warm Uh, personality and her charisma and her public speaking. I know how much you guys will all really enjoy this episode as Rifki shares her own personal journey with all of us. And I found it not only inspiring, but also very empowering. It really showed how she really, you know, took took the time to make some changes in her life and uh, is living those changes today.
0: So we hope that all of you out there will enjoy this episode as much as we did. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast.
1: Or get your sneakers on.
0: This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. It is a great pleasure to welcome to the Empowered Jewish Living podcast Rifki Silver. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. I love your podcast. I'm thrilled to be on it.
0: Thank you and here we are alongside Vera Buxbaum, co-hosting. Welcome.
2: Yay,
1: super excited to be here. Thank you Rifki for joining us.
0: Yes. Okay. It's so, so fun. listen, before we jump in, I just have to give set a little bit of groundwork for this because Rifki, when I started, I, I very much like to prepare well for the guests. Like I like to, you know, that that's part of the enjoyment for me of the podcast is all the preparation and really getting to know the person offline and then getting to know them in person. So with you was a little bit tricky because your podcast, what, I mean, now it's called Deep Meaningful Conversations, but it was called Normal From Women. And I don't know, I kind of felt a little bit awkward, you know, listening to it is like that time that I read the marriage book for women. And I was like, you can't (laughs) read that book. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's all the same stuff. Anyhow, there was a podcast you were on also with uh, a, a, a with with a male host. I don't remember what his name was.
2: Right, the Jewish Living Podcast. Um, is yeah, there, exactly, Jewish yeah. Living
0: Podcast. I feel like he took that name from us. We're Empowered Jewish Living. He's Jewish. Anyhow, Jewish Living Podcast. And he said on the thing, he said, "Oh, the podcast is not only for women, but even men could enjoy." So I took that as like the green light that I could listen to your podcast. Absolutely. I mean,
2: yeah. And, and now that we now that we rebranded in this deep, meaningful conversations, there should be even less of a barrier to (laughs) to listen. But anyhow,
0: I still felt a little awkward. So it was like, when nobody was around, I kind of like grabbed my phone, like I went under the covers with like a flashlight <laughs> and the thing in my ear, like nobody was looking. Um, and I did start listening to it. And again, at first I was like, you know, like the man has to go onto the lady section by wedding cause he wants to leave. And he just like, his wife is in there and he doesn't know how to get her, So He has to go into the lady section. I
1: think you just lost 90% of our listeners. And then
0: I like, <laughs> you go in and you're just like, I'm not looking for any trouble. Just give me back my wife. I just want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of felt like the guy in the lady section, uh-huh. but then as I was listening to it, I actually did find it very relatable for like, for everyone, for everyone. I'm
2: so glad. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. I mean, we do try to cover topics that are definitely, we, we are exploring, you know, the, the new, nu- the nuances and the joys and the experiences of being a from woman. But a lot of the topics we talk about are applicable to anyone, really right. any human. And there anyone. is
0: no normal from men podcast no right? there isn't so that's that's certainly I guess uh, we could infer, infer what we listening.
2: want about that yeah <laughs> we
0: don't talk about things right so anyhow so the reason that I'm giving this whole thing is because about half of our audience a little bit more than half our audience are women uh, about 45 whatever you know another almost half are men but this podcast is going to be for everyone if you're a woman if you're a man if you are if you're not from, I feel like we should define from maybe for, for our audience. From is a Yiddish word that is applied to the Torah observant community, what people call the Orthodox community. That's what from is. But this podcast is going to be for everyone because we're going to hear Rifki's fascinating story and other awesome life tips. So with that long introduction... Rifty, welcome back to the podcast. (laughs) Uh,
2: Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So happy to be here again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about, before we get into your story, tell us a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, and why you do what you do.
2: Sure. This is like, I love this question. And also this question, I never know where to start because thank God I do a lot of different things. So I'll just tell you, I started off my day getting my five kids off to their respective schools. Um, different campuses, same school system, except for the three-year-old who's in a play group. And so I, that's, that's, I feel like my primary job is right now, I'm a mother of many small children and I'm so happy and I'm very busy with that, but it is definitely not all I do. Because after that, I went to play piano for one of the Jewish day schools here because I play piano for all the local day schools in, in Cleveland, all the Orthodox schools. I play piano for when children get their first sitter, their first prayer book, I play for that. I play for a sixth grade graduation which is tomorrow actually, mm. so I do that. So that's very enjoyable for me, I love it. And then I also, I write, I just had a piece in a Jewish magazine, Family First, which is the like the woman's weekly magazine associated with Mishpacha, which is one of the Orthodox magazine publications. And I love doing that, I write for them frequently. And so that's something else I'm doing with my all my quote unquote free time. And then, like you mentioned, I, I co-host this podcast, Deep Meaningful Conversations, a Meaningful Minute podcast, and that is just fantastic fun. Like, you know how it is hosting a podcast, hosting a podcast. It's, just, it's it's interesting and it's exciting and you never know where your conversations are going to take you, even if you might have an idea and get to meet new people and explore interesting topics. And so all in all, like this is, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I'm doing all these things. I also do public speaking occasionally. Um, and I just, I like to stay very busy with a lot of the different things that I'm able to do. And I'm very grateful that I am able to do all of these things. So for those who are not so so
0: familiar with your work, what is, what's sort of the mission? You know, you write, you have the podcast. What is the overall kind of message? That's the thread of all of these things that you're trying to get across?
2: Oh yeah. That's a great question. I mean, for me, my main message is we all have so much in common and we all have such similarity with the struggles and the goals and the hopes and the aspirations we have in our life. And a lot of times we also feel like we're the only ones who are struggling or are feeling like, oh, I'm not managing, or I'm the only one who ever snaps at my spouse or my kids, or I'm the only one who doesn't know this particular social nuance. And I feel like I like to explore topics that could have a little light shine on them to help people feel like not as alone like oh you also you also have that feeling oh you also had that experience and to just kind of show that we have oftentimes more in common than we have different between us if that makes sense
0: yeah nice so meaning all those life things all those life things that everyone's struggling with and nobody's really talking about and everybody thinks that they're alone in it
2: yeah everyone thinks we're the only one who, who are struggling we're all struggling with stuff i mean we do have individual Obviously, everyone's life is different, and we have our individual strengths and our individual challenges. But I, I think that when when we choose to share a little bit appropriately, you know, of what we're going through, it can be tremendously powerful and tremendously supportive and validating and encouraging for people. And I just noticed when whenever I would be writing essays, I write a lot of personal essays. Now I do also more interviews and different like journalistic things, but whenever I would write a personal essay, just like sharing like a little window, like appropriately into, into a struggle that I that I had to my life. Like people would just, I would just get all this feedback, like, oh my gosh, this helped me so much because I was also going through this or this was also something that I didn't realize someone else was going through. And I thought, oh, like this is, this is something that I could do as I enjoy writing, A, and, and it's like a, it's not just like a narcissistic exploration. It's like hopefully providing people with support, which I think that we could all use more support in our lives, sure. so why sure. not?
1: Yeah. And I'm sure that you see the, I mean, just even based on what you just said, like you write these essays and then you hear the feedback and I could not, I could not agree with it more. And I think that people show up, you know, we see someone, we have a short interaction with them, whether it's in the supermarket or we meet them for a quick cup of coffee or whatever it is. And like, oftentimes, like until you really get to get to know a person and see their full story, you almost don't get to even crack like what, what is so similar. And then it's like, once you peek into that little you know, peek into that opening, um, you realize all across the board how much we all have so much in common.
2: Absolutely. So true. Absolutely. You said it perfectly, exactly.
0: I think what, what's so amazing about this whole thing, you you live in Cleveland, correct? Yeah, that's Cleveland. right. Okay, so you live in yeah. Cleveland. No, that's not what's so amazing. You live in Cleveland <laughs> and you're, Cleveland. you mentioned the, you know, the publications that you write for and they get for our audience to understand a little bit more. Uh, the, the 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 publications that Rifki writes for, as well as the podcast, is 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 very much. It's, would you say that it's it's targeting it's targeting the Orthodox, the observant community? Correct.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely okay. Right. That's
0: fair. Fine. And uh, not only that, but this is you mentioned. I think Mishpacha is is the right, one of the, the the most widely read. Uh, publications in the Orthodox community. Your podcast, which is now the Meaningful Conversations, was normal from women. It, it's a chart-topping uh, podcast. It's one of those that everybody is listening to. It's one of the most popular podcasts within the Jewish world, and certainly um uh, targeting, uh, you know, from people. Which means that okay. a lot of people are listening. That means that you are now a, a major voice representing you and, and, and your, your co-host, um, Alex Fletcher, you're kind of like the voice of, 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 of the Orthodox woman, which is really cool.
2: I mean, it's a big responsibility, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. And,
0: and what is so amazing about that is, and then we'll get into your story and we'll get back to that even more because I really want to understand that. But what's so amazing about that is that, you know, it's a tough world to crack. And especially if you're coming from the outside in, and this is not the world that you were born into. Right. So maybe you can right. take us back a little bit into that story, take us into that world. And then, and, and then I'm interested, A, in your journey, and then I guess maybe on the, on the tail end, I'll, I'll, we'll get back to this later. But I, I also want to know like, how you really cracked a very, very, very difficult market. But either way, let's, let's, let's start from the beginning. Take us back to your story. Where, where, where did you grow up? How did you get into this?
2: Yeah. So everyone should hold on to their headphones. We are going way back. No one's going to see the next part coming unless they've heard my story. But um, I was born in sunny California in Orange County, which is just south of Los Angeles and um, palm trees beach, 70 degree weather all the time. Not like in Cleveland for the record, that's fine. But my parents moved. My parents were both Midwesterners and they moved back to the Midwest when I was small and I grew up primarily in Des Moines, Iowa. Whoa. Yeah, nice. I know. No one sees that coming. The um, <laughs> Right. So Des Moines, Iowa. Literally, my high school was next to a cornfield. Next to a cornfield. I did not live well, on yeah, a farm. Yeah, what
1: else is in Iowa? That's yeah. it. It's your pig high school. farms.
2: Soy, <laughs> corn, and pig farms. And really, really nice people. Because it was a great place to grow up. It was really, really lovely. Um, I lived in the suburbs. I did not live on a farm. But, um, we yeah, we lived in a very nice, like, upper-middle-class suburb. I went to excellent public schools. My parents raised me, like in a great neighborhood. I had like all these extracurricular programs I was in. I did music and I did art and I did drama and I did dance. I did all the things. And, um, you know, we had a summer home that we would go in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. We would go every summer and we would spend like the whole summer on the beach in North Carolina. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And, um, And then every Sunday we would go to church because we were not Jewish. My parents were not Jewish. I was not Jewish. My little brother's not Jewish. No one was Jewish. We were just regular, not Jewish midwesterners living in iowa living the american dream the great life and it was like a really lovely standard midwestern childhood like i have zero complaints my parents did a great job raising me i was involved in my church like we went we went weekly we were like religious but not like i don't know we were like regular religious i don't know how else to say it. we were like not fanatical we went to church regularly um i went to youth group on sundays i was very active we went on like ski trips and we went to like i remember like a like a Like religious concert. I did volunteer work at a home for children with developmental disabilities, and I did everything like everything by the book. So after after I went to, after I graduated from high school, I went to college because that's what you did. That's what everyone did. I got a scholarship for music um, to go to Truman State University, which is in the middle of nowhere Missouri. I don't know if anyone's heard of it who's listening to this podcast. It's in Kirksville, Missouri. Look it up on a map. It's literally the middle of nowhere. And um, I got a music scholarship to study clarinet performance and that's what I was going to do I was going to be a clarinetist. And um, I found college.
0: That was your dream,
2: Clara. I mean, it was like not like my dream since I was little, but since I got a scholarship for music and I, I was I was good at it. So it, it made sense as like a career track. It was something that I loved and I was good at it. And it was something that I could point to and I say, this is my goal. I'll go, I'll get a master's, I'll get a doctorate. I'm gonna maybe teach at the collegiate level and hopefully get a job playing somewhere. It's a very competitive market. So
0: was
2: imagine was see but I, I liked it and I was good at it. And I didn't have anything else that I really wanted to do. College was a bit confusing in my opinion because I got to college and like all of the messaging I got when I was there was like, you know, party, have fun, find yourself, have a lot of crazy experiences. And a lot of the experiences that I was being encouraged to have were things that I knew my parents were like not, would not be crazy about if they had known I had had it. But it was like, but your parents aren't here. Just go have fun was kind of like the ethos. And I was like, well, they sent me to college. My dad went to college, like they know what college is. So I guess I'm supposed to go with the flow. But also I noticed there was a very like, I don't know if it was articulated directly, but there was a definite vibe of like, if you were a person who bought into organized religion, then you must be like, not very intellectual. You must not be very smart because only people who are not thinking people are into religion. And so I I stopped, I stopped being involved in religion. I didn't, I wasn't, I, I didn't connect to any of like the religious groups on campus. And I just kind of drifted away from, from that. And I drifted right into the college environment. And I had a lot of really, quote, unquote, fun experiences that were very standard college experiences. But by the time I graduated with honors, I was having all these fun experiences. I studied in Europe, and I was in a band, and I was doing all these cool things. But I was kind of I mean, empty inside, I guess you could say, and I just kept doing all the things I was supposed to be doing, all of the messaging I was getting from society and my peers and my teachers, I was doing these things, but I wasn't very happy and I was pretty confused, to be honest. And then um, my plan was to go and get a master's degree in music and I ended up not getting into any of the graduate school choices I had applied to, which was devastating at the time, devastating. And my, my professors were all like, we don't know what happened. And I was like, that's not helpful. Like, what do you mean? Like, what am I supposed to do now?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And all my friends went off to their graduate school adventures and I went back to my parents' basement and Aww. moved back in with them in the suburbs. And they had moved to St. Louis at this point. So it was a town that I had not grown up in. I did not have like friends or like grounding. And I was just like in my parents' basement, like having an existential crisis. <laughs> wow. But, you know, whatever, I was plucky, I pulled myself together, I got a job in a law firm, and I was like, okay, regroup, let's figure out what to do next. And this was the point when, like, the really strange things started happening to me, people started bageling me, I don't know if your listeners know what bageling means, it means like, when you see someone who's Jewish, like you're Jewish, you see someone Jewish, and then you just kind of drop Jewish, like, Kind like of like happy
0: Passover, even if it's in the middle of uh, it, December. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah.
2: did you see any matzah in the in the grocery store? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. you know, let each other know. So people started bageling me. Like, I was at my work, my office place, and this guy was like, we, we would schmooze sometimes when we were on break together, and he was like, what temple do you go to? And I was like, I do not go to any temple, for in fact, I was raised Protestant. I don't know, like, what do you mean, temple? And then another time I was at a party at Washu um, in St. Louis, which has a very high Jewish population. And there was a girl, she was like, so member of the tribe. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. But thank you, I guess. And another time I was sitting at um, a coffee shop, like minding my own business at a coffee shop. And a guy came up to me and he said, are you secular or religious?
1: Wow.
2: And I was, I didn't even understand the question. Right. I was like, what are you talking about? And he told me that I should go to h.com. And I was like, okay, go away, bye. <laughs> what is this? And then, I mean, it happened, it happened regularly for months. I was at a bar and a Jewish, not a Jewish help. I was at a bar and a German exchange student apologized for the Holocaust to
0: me. Oh,
2: wow. And I, and I looked at him, I was like, oh, it's okay. And he said, it's not okay. And I said, you're right. I mean, it's very not okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm not the person you need to be, to be apologizing to. This is not, it's not my, it's not my people, you know? And so this happened for months, and um, I was having lunch with my mother at some point during this whole experience, and I had mentioned to her, I was like, mom, it's so weird, people keep asking me if I'm Jewish, it's so bizarre. And then she told me that that happened to her mother all the time, too. And at this point, I was like, excuse me, my grandmother was a hairdresser in Milwaukee, and she apparently had a lot of Jewish clients, and they kept asking her if she was Jewish, because apparently she looked very Jewish. What does it even mean to look Jewish? We can have, that's a whole different discussion, but she also got bageled a lot. And um, as if this wasn't all enough to kind of point me in the direction that I'm in now, um, I found a whole stack. I was living in my parents' basement. Remember, my mother is the type that she like saved every project I've ever done since preschool. So I had a lot of boxes that I needed to go through. Mm -hmm. And I found a box that was from some eighth grade project I had done with like some genealogical markers or like hair color, eye color, tracing it through our family. And there's this relative who had sent a whole bunch of Like ancestry information from my relatives on my mother's side who came from europe in the 1800s and the name of the family that came over from prussia which doesn't exist anymore it's poland that area now um the name of the family that came over was kramer and there were millers and there were newmans in my family tree and at this point i was like oh my gosh we are totally jewish and i remembered that that one random guy from the coffee shop, had told me to go to h.com. So I, I went to h.com. because so I was like, well, if we have Jewish ancestry, cause like Americans are super into ancestry, like who are your people? Where are you right. from? I was like, well, if I have Jewish ancestry, like what does that really mean? I had had like, you know, grow, make, growing up in Des Moines, you don't have a lot of interactions with a lot of Jewish people, but like my piano teacher had been Jewish and like I had a friend in high school who had been Jewish. So like, I, I had like friendly associations, but I didn't know like, what did it mean? So I went to h.com and I was like, my mind was just completely blown just completely blown, um, like full. Of the, the The first stuff that I read was actually dating advice. <laughs> I was like in my mid twenties, I was dating and like it was a disaster all the time. It was like, it was a disaster. Like I can't even explain how much of a disaster it was. And then I was reading all of these articles on H.com, which was like, make sure you have common interests, respect yourself and like, don't go too fast. And like all of, I was like, this is great advice. Like Cosmo magazine is not giving me good advice but this website is giving me good advice. And I was like, this is why are people doing more of these things? This is great. And then I meandered along, I started reading even more. And I was really moved by just the breadth and the depth of all of the guidance that was found in, in Judaism, which was something like I had grown up like reading the the Bible, so to speak, you know, the which is Tanakh with the old the Old Testament as, as they call it, you know, with all the stuff packed on the end. But um, I had never known that there was like literal guidance for anything you could possibly experience in your life. Anything that comes up in your life, like a happy event, a sad event, struggles, celebrations, you know, like the, the big things in life, you know, big life events, life, death, birth, marriage, all of those things. There were guidance on like, how do you do it exactly? But not even just the big life events, like small things, like how do you get along with your neighbors? How do you get along with your family? How do you get along with your coworkers, your siblings? Like we all know that interpersonal relationships are extraordinarily complex. And people do things all the time that hurt other people's feelings. Like this is just the human experience. All the time, people say something they could be insulting unintentionally. They could be insulting intentionally. There are, people can backstab. People can un, like unwittingly do damage to other people. And there's so many times when it would be natural and normal that the human response would be to be jealous, to take a, to take revenge, to hold a grudge. These are all completely reasonable, emotional reactions to a lot of the things that can happen over the course of a person's life but here were actual rules and guidelines that said but wait yes those are normal those are normal reactions but you need to rise above them because as a society if we can all rise above it and if we can all tap into this wisdom that is in the Torah like society could function in such an incredible beautiful way and I I was just like living my life doing everything I was supposed to do working at my job I had my college degree I had done everything but like I saw that everything was kind of like very messy around me. And I saw like in reading this wisdom, reading all about every little detail that was included in the Torah of like a guidelines for how to live an amazing life. I thought to myself, like if there is a place in the world, if there's like a community in the world where people are actually doing this, like that's where I want to live. I don't want to just be over here where it's like the wild west and like people are backstabbing and gossiping all the time at my office. I remember once I stayed late to do some work and a coworker came up to me and like, she just said straight out. So who in the office do you not like? Who do you hate? Like that was her intro conversation. And I was like, "What? this is terrifying. I'm scared now. But I sensed that it was this incredible package of wisdom and guidance that if there was a community that was really following these rules, I was like, wow. That, that's were, you,
0: were you aware at all of the like what observance or like what that might no. even look like or, no. So right now it's just like wisdom you're just taking right. in the wisdom think-
2: yeah i was living in my parents basement working at the law firm reading h.com and being like whoa but right. but nothing in my life no but, but yeah but my life still was just standard yeah exactly i didn't know where to go you know so At some point when I was reading and I was, you know, getting my mind blown on a regular basis, I also had come to the realization that all these Kramers and these Millers and these Newmans in my family tree, and no matter how, how, no matter how many people thought I was Jewish because of my appearance or whatever, at the end of the day, none of these relatives were actually Jewish. They were all perfectly nice Lutherans buried in Lutheran cemeteries in Minnesota, and I didn't really actually have any connection to anything Jewish. So... So then I was kind of in a quandary because here I, here I discovered like this, this incredible, incredible guidebook, like syllabus for life, like key to successful living. I was like, Ooh, I want that, but it's not, it's not for me. It's for Jewish people and I'm not a Jewish person. So, so now what? At some point I I really realized that it wasn't enough just to read about it. I really wanted to tap into this. Um, When I was, before i really realized i didn't have any jewish ancestry i did kind of i started diving into um i guess like the reform area of judaism that's everyone who i'd ever known had been reformed so that it was a logical place for me to start i went to a rabbi and i was like hi this is my story what should i do and he was like just i guess go shopping around synagogues and see if like anything speaks to you and i did i did and so i ended up going through the ash um st louis branch and contacting um, the rabbi is there. So I called Rabbi Lit and there was an advertisement for a Shabbaton that H was having. And I called and I said, hi, I want to make an RSVP for the Shabbaton. And he said, so there's no Shabbaton this week. It's wrong, but you're welcome to come to our house for Friday night dinner. And I said, oh, that's, that's so nice. Thank you. And then I said, so I'm not Jewish. And he was like, why are you calling me? Right. But he's, I explained my whole confusing story and he still very nice to let me come. And when I walked into their house, like I just I'm not like a feely kind of person. I'm a more intellectual kind of person. But when I walked through their doorway, it just felt different. It just, it felt like I was walking into like a different world, a different universe. Like not like in a, I'm an alien sort of way, but like in a, oh my gosh, I'm coming home sort of way. Yeah. And yeah, I just
0: ask you to pause for a second, just because this is like, because I discuss this all the time with Torah. Yeah. Rabbi Lin, you said, right? Lit. Lit. Rabbi Lit. Yeah. Rabbi Lit, at this point- you know, Rivki's calling him and she says she's not Jewish. Yeah. And at this point, just going through his head for a second, because we're in this situation a lot, not we, but us in, in our field. And very sure. often you're just like, okay, like, you know, here it is, you know, another, you know, not Jewish, Like they, they're coming, they're just going to check it out. Like, why Why should I invest my energy? And it's just like amazing. I'm just stopping for a moment to focus on like, he could have turned you away. Yeah. And you know, here you are, Rivki Silver, impacting right, impacting the Jewish world in an incredible, amazing, amazing way. And there was, I'm sure there was so much hanging on that moment. And just every single time we're like debating, like, do we turn this person away? We're going to have to turn a person away, but maybe we'll just say, you know what, why should I invest my efforts here? This is just like such an amazing um, moment in time to focus on like how that story could have gone either way
2: hundred percent. And it's interesting. Sometimes I say to my husband, when I look back at how I was back then, you know, I was like, I don't know if I would have said yes to me, you know, like, I don't know if I would have let me in my house. (laughs) And
1: were there a lot of, were there a lot of people at the, at the Shabbos meal?
2: No, it was just me right it was, it was just, just me and them and again and just, yeah. just
0: just to clarify for the listeners it's not a matter of turning away but it's just a matter of saying like you know we, we all have a, a limited amount of, of resources and you know if we're going to put our resources towards yeah. and sometimes yeah. we will turn somebody away not because we don't want to engage with them but just because we say like let's put our effort and people that are already in the door they're jewish and right. you never know, you never know who is knocking at your door at that point. Uh, I it, this is something I just, again, I think about all the time. That's why I felt like I had to interrupt you. Anyhow, sure,
2: sure, sure. yeah, makes
0: sense. carry on.
2: Yeah, no, I, so yeah, like it was just like, like I was saying to Devorah, like it was, it was not like a huge, like exciting Shabbos meal. It was a, it was a quiet meal with this young couple who gave me their time and their, their attention for that one night. And I saw very clearly like all the things I had been reading for over a year, at this point all of the concepts all of the actions all of the rituals that i hadn't really seen i hadn't really encountered them they were all comp- really abstract and the abstract for me it was all like an intellectual exercise exercise for me until now really you know yes i was going to some synagogues here and there and i was i was doing a very very minimal you know amount on my own but it wasn't until i had that shabbos experience at their at their shabbos table that i saw oh this is how you live it this is how it's actually done where it's not just something that you squeeze into your life but it encompasses your life and it informs your life and and it's it's beautiful it's like it's like normal life but better <laughs> right and and that's it i i that's and i started that's when i embarked upon an, an orthodox conversion that was it that was it I never missed a Shabbos after that I wow. came back the next the next week with an overnight bag and then mm-hmm. I they introduced me to my sponsoring rabbi and I started learning very intensely um and after I convinced after I I mean this is like obviously like I am summing up but after I after I finished my conversion process I went and I studied in Israel for a year which I'm ex- at Neveh Yerushalayim a seminary in Jerusalem which I'm extremely grateful for it gave me a, a a really fantastic foundation. Also, the St. Louis community gets a major shout out. Like, they provided a, a great foundation as well. Yeah. And I always say, like, you know, any Torah that anyone learns from me or anything that I am, you know, privileged to be able to benefit the, the Jewish world in any way, shape, or form, like, it's it's a credit to the St. Louis community and also to Neve Yerushalayim, which provided me with a really, really solid foundation that was, that helped me go on, you know, on stable ground as I moved into my, my actual life.
1: And where did your family fall with this whole thing? Like, what was that like?
2: Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. I'm very fortunate. My family is very supportive. They 100% thought it was a, a weird phase at first, of course. Cause why wouldn't they? um you know here i was i hadn't gotten into graduate school i was adrift a little bit of course it makes sense she's going to do something kooky and then and then i you know and then i went to israel for a year and then i came back and i met my husband <laughs> and i got married and they're like maybe this is not a phase <laughs> <laughs> but my husband my husband's a great guy and you know we have cute kids if i do say so myself and you know they they see how incredible the jewish community is and so even though some things can be challenging and some things are maybe hard to understand from the outside, they see how we have an incredible support in the community that we live in and how people really care about each other and take care of each other and support each other and how you know our our children have such a wonderful childhood in the place that we're living with so many friends and neighbors who watch out for each other and you know, even though it's definitely not what they pictured for me, I think it's safe to say they're very happy where, where I am. And we do our best to meet where we have common ground. Like I was saying earlier, you know, there's for sure things that are, that are never going to, you know, I can't, I can't eat their food, right. Cause I keep kosher and, and they don't, but they have a set of pots and pans for me at their house. Mm. So we, we make it work. You know, they come to me for Thanksgiving every year. I make Thanksgiving to my whole family. Everyone comes in because that's important, you know, for us. So we. Try to make-
0: I I owe I owe just to a large demographic of people that are listening to this podcast who may be going through, uh, you know, similar journeys or not the exact journey but related journeys of, of 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 transition to to ask the following question, and I'm asking a general question to something that probably needs a much more tailor made answer, but. Mm-hmm. Again, the story, very, very inspiring. You know, again, seeing you now listeners not seeing the video, you have you, you, you have pictures in the background of great rabbis, clearly a beautiful home. Um, but that navigating that of like how much of a foot in your previous life can you keep there? Um, you know, because you you I don't think you would recommend to anyone to completely disconnect. You have a relationship with your for parents. Sure you go to their home. I, you know, I don't know if I can ask how often you you go to their home. But again, people that are going through the journey, they have friends. They're getting invited to weddings. Weddings typically happen on the weekends. They're in places yes. where where they make it extremely as complicated as it can happen <laughs> for them to be able to to keep Shabbos. You know, they're having to navigate these things. They find themselves always apologizing for who they become to all to all, all of their friends I mean it is a and and you know one of the things that I always share And I've never been through the journey so I can't really advise but I say like it seems like there is like one extreme is I'm embarking on a new path I'm leaving my, my previous world behind my previous world yeah. this is who I'm going to become and see you later everyone else you know you're either you're either on the journey with me or I'm leaving you behind And then there are those who um, say, no, I I can't leave. There are people that love me. There are people that I care about. I can't leave that world behind. I want to do this, but I always have to sort of balance these these two worlds, you know, and and, and that's the other extreme. So where did you find yourself in terms of of, of that? How much of the balancing act did you find that you had to do uh, along the way to balance family, friends, weddings on Saturdays, et cetera?
2: Right now, this is a fantastic question, because it is something that whenever anyone makes a life change, like of this magnitude, is going to come up. And I think the very, I mean, the very first thing is that everyone needs someone that they can ask these questions to, because there have been so many people who have been through it before, and have had these challenges and have been in these situations, that there is advice that you can get to make it smooth. And don't to not just assume that everything is off limits there's so much more wiggle room than you could even possibly realize it just pays to have a rabbi that you can ask these questions to and say like this is my situation where's the line what can i do what makes sense with my unique situation and every family has its own sensitivities its own pain points and its its own nuances and so to have a relationship with someone who you can get advice from is crucial um There's, there's the things that I I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I just remember, like, there's, there's just ways that you can really make it work that if you are talking to someone who's knowledgeable and who's experienced with people who have gone through this journey, you could be pleasantly surprised with how, how much peace you can have within your family with how, with how possible things can be. So don't assume that everything is off limits just because it seems like it might be. I I definitely did some and some I. I, you know, I, I think it's also natural, like anyone, go, you're going to make mistakes, like everyone's going to make mistakes going through these phases and feelings can get hurt. And, and that's just kind of the reality of making a big change like this. And I think being, you know, kind to yourself and compa- self-compassion and saying like, okay, I, I, you're going to mess up. It's going to be okay. You know, if our focus is on, we, we, we're we still the same person on the inside, even though behaviors might be changing and god doesn't make mistakes so like if you know if i have been I, I always say this you know whenever i had times when i was like oh it'd be so much more convenient if i had just been born observant and i didn't have to go through all this and i didn't have to have these struggles it would be so much less of a headache but god doesn't make mistakes and if i had been meant to be observant since i was born that's the body i would have been placed in for whatever reason this was supposed to be my life journey. Was that I was supposed to be born into a non-Jewish body and go through college? And have a non-Jewish body and that
0: music. looks Jewish. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know it's so weird. It's just
0: to complicate things. <laughs> I
2: know, seriously, seriously. But this is supposed to be my life mission, like you know. So it's not. It's not a mistake. Like these specific challenges, these, these nuances, these tricky dynamics, these family dynamics. This is all part of our growth journey. Whatever we need to grow. These challenges and these awkward circumstances they're supposed to happen and we're supposed to navigate through them and it's okay to make mistakes and just pick yourself up and go again it's okay um i i definitely stayed in touch with some people i I did separate a lot from some of my friends i I definitely made kind of a clean break that way um i remember facebook was just starting when i was like just starting when i was becoming from and i opened a facebook account And like an ex-boyfriend like messaged me to like friend me. And I was like, oh, shut it down, shut it down. I can't, I can't do this right now. And then it was later when I was more solid in my, in my Jewish identity, that I did open it up again and and start to reconnect to some people from my past in a way that I felt like I was solid and I was comfortable with myself. And I had made enough of my um, changes and I had, I was through my turbulent phase and I was more settled because it is, there is a period of turbulence, which I think is probably unavoidable. Even if you do it slowly, even if you do it with advice, it's just turbulent when you change things around. That's just, but I mean, like, I think also in your twenties, there's a lot of turbulence. Getting married can be a turbulent experience because you're learning how to live with a new person. Becoming a parent could be a turbulent experience because now you're taking care of small humans. Like there's lots of turbulent experiences in life. This is just a specific one.
0: Sure. What was Um, was the hardest thing for you to, was there anything that you found to be a turnoff at any point in time or just extremely hard to to get over? And what about for the like for your family or other people? Was, was there anything that you were taking on that they were like, really? Like, is that really necessary? Or quote unquote, does God really want you to do that?
2: Yeah, I didn't get that that specific thing. I'm sure there, I'm sure I think I was very obnoxious at the at the beginning because I was so excited about everything. I was like, this is amazing. This is the truth. This is amazing. So like I give my parents a lot of credit for um putting up with me when I was like really really excited about everything all the time I am still excited I'm just a little bit more chill you know about it um but
0: we should have another feature on this podcast where you bring in like the family <laughs> like this oh, is I their side so. of the story exactly
2: exactly exactly my parents were actually just here they were just here over the holiday of oh, they, right. just- oh that's so nice <laughs> yeah it was really 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 nice um like, I mean, like definitely like some of the stuff like on, on, on Shabbos or on holidays where like we're, we're not doing the light switch, we, I'm not running the garbage disposal in my sink, a lot of the electricity stuff. My, my dad had said once, he's like, I don't understand the electricity thing. That's kind of weird to me, but I, but I really love like the community that you have. So like, it's like a trade-off they see. I, I think for me, the hardest part was some of the music stuff, um, because I was a classically trained musician and in the classical music world, um, a lot of concerts are on, on you know the the weekend, and um, there's other different aspects of classical music which can be complicated in, with Jewish law. So that to me, because that was that was really my identity. That was my identity for a long time. Is like I was the musician, I was the clarinetist. That's who I was. And at some point, I had um, I just had made the decision. I was like, well, if it's either be a musician and maybe be happy in my life, maybe be fulfilled, maybe have a good life or be Jewish and have less music in my life, or or maybe not at all, but to have an amazing fulfilled life. I'm 100% going to choose to be Jewish. Like that is, it was a clear, clear choice to me, but it wasn't until I was at Neveh Yerushalayim and Rabbi Moshe Shalkovsky, who was the the principal of Neveh, when I was there, um, he found that I played clarinet and he was like, well, are you playing every day? And I said, no, why would I, why would I play every day? You know, Now I'm here to, to learn about Torah. And he got very upset at me. He was like, no, that's not how it is. You have a gift, you play music, you have this training, you have to use it. You can't just become religious and then like drop it. This is what you have. This is a gift that God gave you. So you need to be using it. And I was like, oh, okay then. And that I was very fortunate to have a lot of teachers who did, like you had said, like, you know, not to drop everything, not to just like leave everything behind, but to see what are the strengths and the gifts and the unique parts of who I am that can really integrate very nicely into my life now. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I play piano for like all, the, all, all these Jewish schools and I've I played in orchestras and I've played with other Jewish women and bands. And I've really been able to use a lot of that specific ability, um, in in my life and I'm I'm very grateful for all of the opportunities that I've had to use these yeah and I'm sure
0: nowadays I mean like uh, recently and this is just this is like the growing trend the within the Jewish music space like women artists women singers women musicians it's just like a growing it's just a yeah it's exploding it's a growing genre it's totally exploding
2: yeah yeah
0: does that change at all sort of the direct how does that weigh in to your career right now because I have heard you say on previous interviews or what I've seen from you online that you were somewhat interested in you know maybe growing in that aspect of your your music career
2: yeah it was so I so for me I'm it's I'm since I'm classically trained in the classical world is really much more where like my love is it's a it's a little different than than a lot of the amazingly talented musicians, women, women singers that we and musicians that we see now mm-hmm. becoming much more prominent. It's not really the same niche. And I, I found that for me right now, what makes sense for me with my time and my family and my skills is not to pursue like a classical, like the, the music as much right now. It's something that it, it's still dear to me and I still definitely am keeping my oar in the, in the river, if you will. But it's not something that makes sense right now to pursue like clarinet wise as any professional.
0: Got it. So, So just going back to I think where I started. To me, you know, people come into the community and someone who's converting can sort of brand themselves as an outsider and never really feel you know okay you know just like to be accepted right exactly that might be the bar but for you it's like no not only am i gonna be accepted but i'm actually going to become the voice of this right exactly the voice the voice of the community like what was what was that process like was that hard for you did you feel were you intimidated to try to find your voice within the the world of orthodox jewish women
2: so it's fun. I never really set out to be like the voice of anyone, to be honest, I just really liked doing these things. And it just happened to be that Hashem, like God just kind of like, I <laughs> don't these opportunities that I'm now using. But as far as like integration into the community, there's a lot of social, there's a lot of unspoken rules that definitely can be very challenging if someone comes in and you know to, to take on the mitzvahs and to live a life, an observant life is so beautiful and so rich and so many details. And there's a lot of details that are, that are unspoken that I think can um, just be a bit much. I, I, for people sometimes, I liken it to like an immigrant experience. It's like immigrating to a new country with a new set of rules and new social cues and, and cultural norms and things like that. Um, and i did i for me i was i was always kind of a ridiculous overachiever i guess and very, and very type a i guess like is really what it comes down to and i saw i i just wanted to do do it all and do everything and to blend in and to really give my children i suppose it really comes down to that my children should have like a what is a normal childhood you know whatever the best childhood that they can to be to be pay attention to like what's what's regular what's everyone doing um it's, it's actually kind of deeply ironic because when I was in college and high school, I was very like, never wanted to do it. Everyone, I was very like, you know, if everyone was going right, I would go left. Like I was always like not interested in blending in or fitting in, in any way, shape or form. So I find it deeply ironic now that I was like interested in fitting in, go mm-hmm, figure.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But um, it took me, I would say about seven years before I felt comfortable in my own skin, like in transitioning in between like finding out about Judaism, being very like, mood and really falling in love with it and taking upon myself like to join the jewish people and then to really see what it means to be in a community and to make friends and to figure out like what 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 are the rules like what's normal what what to do i would say it took me about seven years to really get comfortable Hmm. throughout, throughout that time i was writing and i was exploring things and i was talking to people
0: writing when you say writing you mean writing for yourself
2: um, writing for myself, also I I do I did write for a number of different Jewish websites. I wrote for Keller for a while. Um, mm-hmm. and I wrote for you know H.com and Jew in the City. Um I wrote for o, the OU for Partners and Flora for a while. Like I, I just wrote a lot about that's I guess I was processing the experience, like really when it mm-hmm. came when it came down to it. And I saw like, you know, a lot of different people who also had become observant. And just the, the specific challenges that, that came with it as far as like all, all the unspoken rules of, of being in a community and just like navigating a different a different community.
0: So did, so, so did, at, at any point in time, did you either voices in your head or maybe external voices, did you ever feel that there was any sort of, I, I mean, I guess in general, this is not, not a question about you being a convert and becoming a writer and an influencer and a podcaster, but I guess, you know, even just, like you know the this whole world of orthodox jewish women you know singing and having podcasts and da, 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 again it's it's blowing up but it wasn't yeah. it is new relatively yeah. i think you know yeah um even even from when we started our own career as as, as educators i mean it's it's really really you know blown up so yeah. have you gotten any any sort of pushback as to what you're doing you know or any pushback as who are you to do this no nothing no
2: no I mean maybe somewhere in somewhere is saying like who who's your Silver to do this but they're not saying it to my face the um no it's interesting when I when I started blogging many many years ago before podcasts were a thing there were blogs I don't know if you remember this and people had blogs and they wrote about whatever their life and stuff and I had a blog for many 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 years and um I had asked my rabbi at one point, I was like, I'm writing about personal stuff. I'm putting myself out there on the internet. Like, is this this appropriate? Is this something that I should be doing really? You know, like sharing these things and putting my voice out there. And my my rabbi said like, absolutely. He said, you know, coming with your background, your perspective and your ability to communicate, you absolutely should be doing it. Mm -hmm. So I I really have only ever experienced support.
0: Thank God. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. What do you find are some of the the, um, main issues that you're bringing up that like when you bring this when you talk about this or when you write about this that is when you really feel like wow people need to hear this Are so you're getting tons of feedback are you really lighting a fire in your audience
2: a few th- so i i wrote a piece once about it, it depends it depends kind of like on what's going on in the world at the time what are the pain points what are like the communal pain points there's always the personal pain points of you know you know loss like Pregnancy loss was something that I had written about once, which, which was very moving for people, you know, obviously it's a private topic, but so common, so common. And I think the, you know, the world at large is getting better about it, talking about that. Um, dealing with any struggle with children, I think is also something that really resonates with people. Cause we all, of course, we love our children. Those of us who are parents, we love our children and we want them to succeed. And we know that raising children is not simple. I wrote a piece um, not so long ago about children with hidden disabilities, like anxiety, ADHD, um, autism spectrum, things like that. I got a lot of a lot of feedback on that, and I think just a lot of a lot of the internal struggles of people really people really feeling like they don't fit in or that they're alone, like you know it, whether it's in their marriage or it's socially speaking. Those are usually the articles that seem to get the most traction. And, and, and you feel that
0: you have to share some of your own personal vulnerabilities to real, to, to, to get that? Or is that not I mean, necessary? Y-
2: yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, it's definitely, it's, it's I think as a writer, especially as a writer of essays, there's always that fine line of what is too much and what is appropriate. And that is something that I, I definitely try to do with just a lot of self-awareness to make sure that I'm not crossing the line of sharing something that's really private but yeah whenever I do just to open a little window like I everyone has different like, thresholds of privacy clearly here I am on your podcast talking all about my life so my threshold of privacy is like you know I, I I'm comfortable sharing things that are personal yeah. um and so I don't mind like opening a little bit of a window into certain personal experiences but you know obviously I do it Like according to all of those laws that I love so much, all of that Jewish guidance about interpersonal relationships. Like I don't talk about my in-laws. I don't talk about Mm -hmm. like my husband unless I specifically ask them, Hey, can I share this thing about you? Is that cool? Mm -hmm. You know, like neighbors, whatever. Like, I feel like it can be possible to share personal experiences in a way that still respects the privacy And the experiences of those around us because ultimately my experience is my experience but people around me have different experiences and they may have a different take on the same experience so i think that that's also something that is very important when we're when we're sharing to not just share indiscriminately
0: yeah totally totally okay so a couple of questions just before as we get to our last segment we like to kind of like when i say we i mean me but eh, we like to life hack a little bit and And just even though i guess like this whole time we've been life hacking but a couple of things specifically that i love hearing from guests i I grow from it every time if you have do you have any specific it could be daily or weekly any specific habits routines or things within your day within your life within your that really you feel like you would um you would attribute your success your vitality to this habit routine process what would that be?
2: Oh man, that's good. I had to really think about my life now. The um, it, that's why I asked
0: the question in such a long way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, time, to think, time. time to think. Time to think. The um, well, definitely, you know, it's a constant evolution. When I when I look at when I think of myself when I was a young mother and I had you know little toddlers, just I I would always I would say that my my routine was kind of the lack of routine, and my success was that I would just. <laughs> Whatever moment I had to do something creative, I would jump on it. If it meant the dishes would wait, so the dishes would wait. It meant the laundry would wait, the laundry would wait. You know, I would really snatch every opportunity I had to use the abilities that I had that were external to the abilities of, of being a mother, which which takes a lot. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to sure. be a mother and to run a yeah. you know, but like I, I also wanted to other have other things. Now that my my children are older and my this the routine of my life is different. I would say that now it's kind of the opposite is giving me the success, which is now I'm much more regimented. Like I have, I wake up, I, I say my morning blessings. I do the wordle. <laughs> like I do, I, I get my kids ready for the day. I have my, I have my coffee through the whole process. And then after they're all at school, I sometimes am able to say my morning prayers, which is really nice. Now that I'm at a stage, I can do that again.
0: I love that you got the coffee in there. That's very, very important. Any, Crystal. Any guest that throws coffee into the answer to this question is already, I know, like amazing. We're, yeah, we're vibing. Do you know my,
2: my husband does not drink coffee? And I was like, how, how could it be that we ended up with such a happy marriage? Like, you don't drink coffee. And I'm like, Coffee, it's, it's, but look, opposites attract. You can overcome yeah. differences. The, um, I'm so glad yes, we so don't I'm have
0: med- to deal with that issue in, within our well, marriage. we
1: did not, I did not start off drinking coffee. You just swayed me into the whole thing. <laughs>
2: yeah so I I really like right now like the way that my schedule is with my children and the carpools and and homework after school and dinner and I have my life I really want it to be very organized for them and so then I am also but then I, I just have to squeeze in my creativity in a different way but I have to be a little bit more organized about it and it's not like I can't do things like on a whim anymore. If I feel like, oh, motivated to do it, it may not be the time. I may not be able to do it just then because I might have to go run and do a carpool. I might have to be making dinner so the dinner's ready. So I have just had to be a much more disciplined in the way that I am creative, but I have found that that is, it, it really has not impeded my ability to be creative
0: okay and 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 if possible if i may if i I can ask you just to share a little bit more about that because i'm fascinated with it and a a lot of our listeners are tell me about that creative process everything from like do the ideas do they just do they come to you like out of the blue is do you have like a process of like okay what do i want to write about what do i want to share about and 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 how do you how do you carve out that space within your busy life to get into that creative flow state zone.
2: Right, exactly. Because you do need to get to the flow at some point. Um, the, what A lot of my writing looks like organizing my house and folding laundry, because I'll be organizing the table, cleaning the kitchen, thinking to myself, oh man, my deadline's coming up. My deadline's coming up. What am I going to do? Is it going to get done? And then I talk to Hashem. I'm like, Hashem, listen, you gave me this job. You got to help me. I don't know how I'm going to get it done because now I've got this work to go to and I've got this wedding and I've got a bar mitzvah and I promised to make a meal for so-and-so and dot, 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 dot. Um, and somehow it always gets done. As far as I don't like to write when my children are around because I find that it, it makes me very snappish because I, I need to be able to concentrate on the article and I can't yes, concentrate on my children. and in, in the there. Yes. Yeah. But sometimes, but sometimes it just happens to be that I have to get it done. So that means I'm going to be very vulnerable here. It means like extra screen time for my kids or whatever, or maybe play dates if I'm really on top of things. And it means simpler dinners, you know, for a day or two while I get the article done. And then and then it's back to regularly scheduled life. And so that's wow. kind of what it looks like. There are sacrifices that I do make in my home with like my quote unquote ideal routine of what I want my home to look like. I do make concessions when when it comes down to it. But they're concessions that I'm okay with because I also do want my children to see like that I have a talent that I was given, you know, and that I'm using it and that and that you know it's it's good to use your talents, but it's good to try to do it in as balanced of a way as possible. And it's also okay to do things that are like not, whatever. It's okay to be good enough also. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if I'm really imparting all of these lessons. Hopefully I am, but that's my goal. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: Beautiful, Rifki.
0: Last question, and then uh, we'll let you go. Where do you draw your own inspiration from? How do you not get depleted? Are you? Are, do you? Do you read? Do you listen to your own, not your podcast, but do you listen to <laughs> others? Like, where where do you draw your inspiration from?
2: So, at this point in my life, a lot of my inspiration does come from listening to podcasts. Your podcast is excellent. I do appreciate Thank a lot you. of that. Is the same to your Shavuot content before the the holiday it was great. Um, and going going to classes in person I you know there's a few classes I, I, I do attend in, in town and I have a few um, learning partners I do learn with people also um, at different stages of their own journey I have a, a few people who I learn with um, and just like walking around being, I mean, I think I get a lot of inspiration also just from like taking care of myself. It, it sounds very physical, but really that to me, like eating well and exercising and getting enough sleep so that I'm not depleting myself physically allows me to be able to tap into spiritually. If I'm, de- if I'm depleted physically, then like I don't even have a chance of tapping in spiritually. I need to really take care of, and as I get older, I see this more. I'm not like 20 anymore. I can't just like stay up till three in the morning and be fine the next day. Like I'm I need to actually take care of the body that God gave me. So that way I can also take care of the soul that he gave me.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. right. Wow. Well said. Absolutely.
1: Love this.
0: Really incredible. Really incredible. So, okay. So where could the listeners go to stalk you a little bit more? <laughs>
2: right. um, I'm, I'm mainly on Instagram. If, if in the, you know, online world, I do have a Facebook account that I occasionally check. Um, I am on Twitter. I never tweet. I whatever. Um, but mainly Instagram is a good place to, to connect with me and reach me. And if you're not on Instagram, then the other, you know, Facebook or or Twitter, whatever, I'm, I'm very accessible and I love connecting with people. So just like DM me i'm i'll respond
0: <laughs> and of course the podcast deep meaningful conversation yes deep and great. i'm also on the
2: meaningful minute app so there's there's lots of places to to find me kind
0: of amazing amazing well thank you for sharing your voice with the world and thank you for sharing your voice with our listeners and, w- and with us it's always inspiring for us this was really uh, there was so so much in it. your journey is an amazing amazing journey and um much bracha and much blessing in everything that you do and trying to spread all the good to the world. Thank
2: Thank you. And to you as well, keep up the good work.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to shlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.